Slack is a chat client that has reached wide adoption. The rise of Slack has coincided with the rise of chatbots. A chatbot is a simple conversational interface into a computer program that may have simple functionality, like telling you some simple statistics. Or it may have more complex functionality, like helping you manage your continuous integration pipeline or restarting a server. Bot design and engineering is a new field, and a vast array of resources and techniques are available for developers looking to hack on it. Amir Shavat is the Director of Developer Relations at Slack, and he is responsible for communicating with developers about the best ways to build bots for Slack. After seeing his talk at O'Reilly Bot Day, I had a number of questions about where we are with bots today and where we're going. I enjoyed this conversation with Amir, and if you aren't already convinced that bots are an important platform for engineers to understand, this conversation will convince you. I hope you enjoy it. I certainly enjoyed talking to Amir, as he has a lot of experience in places like Google, and he now is working at Slack on this exciting platform. So with that, let's get to this episode, Slack Bots with Amir Shavat. Amir Shavat is the Director of Developer Relations at Slack. Amir, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. So you wrote this piece a while ago called The Conversational Office, where you gave some historical and contemporary context for where we are today and where we're going in terms of how work gets done around an office. And we've had interfaces like email and phone calls and in-person meetings and some form of chat for a pretty long time, but... How is the office becoming more conversational? So I think we're, we've seen a few uh, waves of revolution uh, in the office. Uh, at first, we had like the Win32 uh, apps on our computer, uh, and, and the office became computerized. Um, and then we had the web, and a lot of the services and tools that we got uh, moved to the web. Um, and then mobile came in. Uh, and a lot of uh, bring your own device uh, uh, apps uh, became a pro- like very popular in businesses. Um, and what we see now is this is a conversational revolution where uh, you don't only talk to your mates using um, conversational uh, apps. You also talk to the tools and services that you use for work. Uh, and this is the first time where these tools and services come to humans rather than random humans needing to learn the user interface of apps. This is the first time where apps need to talk to humans on their own turf. So I think this is a very uh, good revolution. There are many different ways where you can envision talking to an app. And I think people are trying a lot of stuff these days. We're in the really early days. So as you are seeing things from the viewpoint of where you are at Slack, what kinds of conversational interfaces between apps and users, which ones are useful and which ones are not so useful? So the first wave of uh, conversational interface that we see is notifications. This is data that services pump into your, um, as a notification into your um, interface. So let's say, a pattern that I see quite often is called the cha-ching model. So a startup, every time they have a new paying user, they will get a cha-ching notification, like cha-ching, a new client, cha-ching, a new client. Uh, and it's delightful and it's great. Um, and it helps with morale, but it also improves transparency. Um, so having interfaces that come and talk to you and give you notifications in your uh, chat interface is a first delightful wave of interactions. As we move forward, we move into the personal assistant uh, model, where you actually have this personal assistant, but instead of uh, it being powered by a human, it is powered by software. Um, And it's happening uh, with uh, amy.x.ai, with Amy that sets up meetings, uh, all the way to providing uh, stats and analytics with, with bots like GrowBot, uh, or, or sorry, with Growbot and like cultural, building cultural um, experiences, but also StatsBots providing you with a assistant to look at your analytics data. So we're moving from notification into a full-fledged uh, conversation. 
and I want to get into the elements of how a developer builds that conversational interface. So in web development, we have the idea of a user session. If I'm on Facebook, I've got maybe I've got multiple windows of Facebook open. I'm doing all kinds of different things. And Facebook has a sense for all of the things that I'm doing. There's the session notion. Is there a similar construct in bot interfaces? So yes, it's not a session, but you you have a, a stream of inputs and outputs. Uh, and for every message that you get, the developer has a user ID associated with that message. So if I send, even if it's in the context of a channel, if I send a message to the bot or I send a message in the channel, the bot will get what was the message that was sent and who sent it on which team. So you have different levels of contexts. You can have the, the, the personal context, the one-to-one context, but you can also have the team context. Uh, so it's slightly more complex, but a lot more uh, flexible. So a bot could not uh, could be useful in a one-to-one conversation, but could also be useful at a team conversation. There are so like the things in the team conversation. I've seen stuff like the stand-up bot, where the stand-up bot asks everybody what they've done yesterday, and then it collates all that stuff together, streamlines some some uh, elements of um, the developer workflow. What about chatbots interfacing with each other? This seems like something where we're kind of in the really early days. Um, how how well are chatbots delegating tasks to each other these days? That, that's an interesting question. Are you referring to like a team uh, bot and Howdy is doing a great job there? So I totally agree that bots in a in a team context could be delightful. Bots talking to bots. Um, we're still we're still very very early on in, in that stage. Uh, there are there are bots that delegate um, to other services. Uh, Alexa is another is a great example of that. So you can build as a developer, you could build skills to this like super bot. Um, some people don't refer to these bots as actual bots, um, but I think that there is a class of super bots that will delegate um, tasks to other services. Another thing is composition of bots. So let's say I want to go to South by Southwest. Um, the travel bot will book me the travel flight, the flight, uh, and the hotel, and maybe Lyft or Uber uh, will book me the the rides to the airport. So there is a use case where I set the intent, and a set of bots work together to uh, collaboratively to address my all my intents. Um, there also could be a way where you can have a chain of trust. So your, your travel bot actually like defers to another bot to fulfill a task. But again, this is all, we're talking about a spaceship and we're still in the stone age uh, of, this, of this era. So I guess, it, is it too early to really talk about that, the chatbot, the delegation stuff in detail? Because like, if you look at the landscape today, or at least when I look at it, you, you have these things like x.ai, which is a really well-developed bot for scheduling, or you know, effectively, you generally... You can interact with it um, over email, but you could easily imagine interacting with it over chat, or maybe you can interact with it over chat today, I'm not sure. But you can very much imagine saying, Alexa, tell Amy from x.ai to schedule um, a meeting with Todd later on today. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's very easy to imagine a future of, of bots delegating stuff to each other. Um, do you have a sense for how for what language the bots are talking to each other? Are they just speaking English to each other? Are they making requests to each other in the same way that a human would make a request to a bot? So, so that's a very interesting question. Um, right now, Alexa, for example, is an API call. So it's a matter of like, um, it's a RESTful API and you can use Lambda to build your skill and then I would call that Lambda function. Um, but I can definitely imagine a future where bots uh, converse to each other using uh, plain text. I don't know if it's the most effective as a, as a back-end engineer by traits. I don't know if that is the best buffer protocol between bots, but it's definitely the most standard, right? So if bots could actually talk to each other, um, that could be a, a standard way which doesn't need an interface and that doesn't need the structure of uh, who says what when, right? Um, and that's we've been doing that as humans for a very long time, uh, so maybe that could be the the interface of the future. Right. So if NLP 
lets our natural conversation catch up to the quality of a restful API call in terms of non-ambiguity, then maybe the natural language API will win out. But otherwise, until then, maybe we yeah. have rest. Yeah, exactly. So what about developers? How are developers using chatbots in their workflow today? I mean, I hear stuff about, you know, uh, standard stuff like, you know, you can restart a server talking to a chatbot. You can integrate your CI, CD system. Um, what are you seeing? And what are the more advanced applications that you're seeing? I think the most the most advanced application that we're seeing is using the chats and the bots as as your command line, as your um, command center for all the things that you do. So if you look at the developer lifecycle, uh, you start your you're getting your task in Trello, and then you use uh, GitHub, um, and you can use monitoring services uh, on your production code. So once all of these are connected, for example, to a chat uh, interface like Slack. You, you, you actually have your, all, your entire life cycle of, of the development living inside this chat application and accessible through bots. So you can look at like from the definition of a product all the way to like runtime and management of it, uh, from ideation to chat to DevOps, uh, you can actually use uh, bots. And, and that's, that's a great way uh, because you can actually collaborate with other developers uh, and facilitate a, a lot more transparency in the dev team. How does the chatbot interface differ from the CLI? Is the CLI just reserved for things where you have very specific commands in my, at, at this point? Like, um, you know, it seems like maybe it's still in the chatbot interface. You have to have very specific um, bots that you've you've given, you've defined with specific functionality. So the the one thing that is missing in chat that I have in CLI is the ability to autocomplete. So th that's the key. Like I, I don't have the tab. I can't, I can't press on tab and let this, the, the chat immediately understand what I want to say, which is something for me as an engineer I really like in CLI. Um, but on the other end, there's this, you could have a natural language understanding in chat, which you can't have in CLI. So things like um, spelling mistakes, you can easily have in chat and with a, properly designed bot, you can easily understand the intent, even if I didn't structure my command right. So I can say, hey, start restart all the servers that are broken, or like restart all the servers that are down, and the intent would be the same, right? Something that I don't have in CLI. So there's plus and minuses for each. You don't have the tab, but you have better understanding in chat. You know, I could imagine an interface where you're just in the chat room, and you could say at terminal you know, do something or, and then otherwise you're just talking to the chat interface. Have you seen people combining the tech, the chatbot text interface with the CLI? So I, I've seen that for testing and debugging, uh, mm. but not for anything else. I think the key is that uh, people who use chat use them a lot and on multiple interfaces, right? So people that use Slack use Slack for uh, more than, have, uh, have Slack open more than 10 and a half hours a day on average. And that means that they're, they're, they're there. So having the bot there means that it's much easier for you. Uh, and you don't, you don't really have a good CLI on your phone. But having a chat bot that you can talk to on your phone, on, on the train, if something happens to your server, um, there's a, a, a clear value there. So I've seen people use bots in CLI, but it's usually uh, for testing purposes. Totally. Um at Slack, where you work, uh, I'm sure you your team uses uh, Slack quite rigorously. How does chat ops or just the chat chatbot interface, whatever you call it at Slack, how does that work there? Because when what um, what kinds of bots are the developers using that are um, the and how how do their how do their workflows go? So we have a bot for. Uh for bugs and features. We have the Trello integration connected into Slack. So we're using uh, Trello uh, quite heavily. Um, and we're using the, the new buttons uh, interface. So you can actually take actions and do a lot more inside Slack with our task. Um, then uh, we have um, Zendesk tickets connected into Slack. Uh, we have a bug bot uh, that assigns and help you uh, manage your bugs. 
we also um, have some uh, have support bots, and at the end of this process, uh, for our business people, they're also they're also the BizOps uh, bot that reports on performance of, of the business. So uh, we're heavy users of Slack, but we're also heavy users of uh, integrations into Slack. Uh, that's a, that's how we started. So we start. I think 60 60 of our first integration we actually wrote for ourselves because we started using Slack as clients before we let it out. So talking about bots more generally, and how developers can build bots. You gave a talk at O'Reilly's Bot Day, which I saw you at. That was a great event, um, and I thought your talk was quite interesting. You talked about where we stand today in terms of how you build a bot, like the bot anatomy. You talked through these different phases that you go through as a developer building a bot, and and I, this was I thought this was a really helpful talk because I think a lot of people they look at the chatbot space and they're like, clearly something is going on there, but I don't really know where to start. Um, and so you advocate starting with a prototyping slash product um, uh, standpoint. Explain what, if a developer wants to get started as a bot creator, what are they doing during the prototyping stage? The idea is that um, you want to uh, prototype the conversation. Um, although we're, we've been doing conversation for hundreds of thousands of years at least, um, having, uh, I see a lot of awkward conversations that bots have with humans. So the idea, the first idea is to prototype, is to get ac an actual conversation going and seeing if it makes sense. It, uh, the basic prototyping, which I demoed on stage, was actually bringing a friend and talking to, to a person, right? So you can actually write the script of your bot and then call it out loud with a friend and seeing, and seeing what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And after you do that, I think you, you'll, you'll see a lot of things that don't make sense and you can fix them. Then you can go into prototyping tools uh, that could help you. There's a lot of good prototyping tools by, uh, that were developed this year. Uh, one of them is a bot that, that I built called Protobot uh, that you can actually talk to uh, and program it as you go. Uh, there's also Walkie and Bot Society and Bot Frame. There's tons of uh, bot uh, prototyping tools by now. Um, and just getting these uh, prototyping done and then showing it to users to get some feedback is uh, very useful, in my opinion. There are code frameworks that are built for um, building bots. Um, how how do these code frameworks work today? What and what do they enable you to do as a bot developer? Bot frameworks provide the, the code frameworks provide uh, a lot of uh, useful tools. Uh, they pro they provide AI. Uh, they provide the ability to uh, do some scripting. Uh, some of them provide an ability to uh, map intents and do entity extraction from conversation. Um, a lot of them provide uh, a basic code layer over APIs. Uh, think of it as an abstraction layer that you can move uh, from one uh, bot platform to the other uh, using the same uh, logical uh, infrastructure. So you can you can do an MVP or like a, a model view control where you have your uh, logic in the back end and the front end is actually uh, on different platforms. So you can have like a Twilio interface and a, and a Slack interface, uh, and both both share the same logic. You also talked about AI platforms, artificial intelligence, and that it's it's so funny because you know at that at Bot Day, you saw people use artificial intelligence in different with different definitions for the term. And I think this is I mean this is like been a contentious term throughout the decades. What art what that term actually means? What artificial intelligence actually means? What does that term eclipse in terms of features? What what makes up artificial intelligence when you're building a bot? So I think the first thing to note is what, what it is not, right? Right now, it might be artificial. It not, it's not very intelligent, right? So I, I loved one of the feedback that, uh, that was said there is like, uh, we, we need to worry about artificial intelligence like over becoming our overlords 
uh, in the same way we need to worry about pop, uh, overpopulation on Mars, right? We're very, very much not there yet. Um, the artificial intelligence of today is pretty, uh, it's, is pretty stupid, um, other than a few simple verticals. Uh, so mapping uh, natural language conversation, um, NLU, or natural uh, or conversational uh, language understanding, um, these two places, uh, artificial intelligence can start help developers. Uh, and how do they help developers? They help developers understand what is the input that is coming from the use from the user. So you can create a set of intents and saying and give example for these intents, like I want to go to the movie, I want to go to the movie, let's go to the movies. Um, and then when the user says n plus one, like, hey, I, I, wa I really want to go to the movies, uh, then the artificial intelligence can map that sentence to an intent. And that's pretty hard uh, thing to do uh, if you're just using regular expression, uh, but artificial intelligence could help with that. Um, a conversation uh, artificial intelligence actually maps uh, a, a higher level of hierarchy. So you can have multiple contexts. We can talk about my trip to uh, San Diego, and we can talk about uh, like life in general, and we can move between those conversations like humans do from time to time uh, and map different contexts to different conversations. So that's like a higher level of uh, understanding how humans converse. But there's also a lot of uh, other things that AI could help you, uh, could help us. Um, IBM Watson uh, showed uh, how do you do sentiment analysis. So think of a support bot that realizes that the user is really angry right now and maybe defers to a human. Uh, there's also image recognition. So when humans uh, upload photos, the bot could have a nice conversation uh, about the photo or maybe even uh, do some OCR and understand what the photo is about uh, and, and take action on that. So there's many ways that AI could help developers uh, build better and delightful bots. Like, um, under the understanding that intelligence is limited to very few verticals right now. You know, I had a conversation with a few people at Bot Day about deep learning, and I've been trying to get an understanding of when deep learning is, when deep learning has good applications, um, you know, as somebody who doesn't spend a ton of time in the space. And my sense is that it's really good for, if you can form fit a problem to be a classification problem, and then you can find a a large data set for, to provide that classification problem with so that the system can learn rules that outline what makes a um, something that is classified as an entity in that um, data set, then that's when it's good. And, and I, I didn't understand what it was useful for for NLP initially, but, um, you know, after talking to some people, you know, you can use NLP to identify certain patterns within speech. You can learn, use deep learning to identify certain patterns within speech. And I think that's what you're talking about in terms of uh, intent mapping or entity extraction. You know, over time, if you have a deep learning system, uh, that's, that can be useful for the conversational interface to do that, that identity, uh, I'm sorry, that um, entity extraction. Definitely. And using that uh, today with just regular expression extremely hard uh, and, and, and requires a, a big set of code. And the idea is that uh, giving AI and deep learning and a bigger, big enough data set and a big enough training, uh, that problem becomes much, uh, much more solvable using uh, AI. Uh, there's also trends of um, deep learning that does not require a big data set, but this we're very, very early stage in, in that, uh, in that um, area. Can you talk any more about how that works or does it quickly break down into stuff that's too difficult to discuss over a podcast? So I, I've seen a few places where people uh, give AI the ability uh, to discover uh, the rules of the game. So let's say I give an AI a game and I tell, uh, and I tell the AI, hey, you just need to, like, to win. And winning means upping the score. So I'm not going to tell the AI what are the rules that govern the game. I'm just going to give it a set of controls and let it play enough with the game to understand how to win the game. 
So this is like a, a new way of thinking about AI, which is like, it does, we don't need to uh, structure it. You just need to give it a set of, uh, of KPIs, of key performance indicators, and a set of controls, and let the AI discover its world uh, around it, which is pretty awesome if you think of it from a, from a geek perspective. Certainly. Well, I guess, um, did you see that news earlier today about DeepMind developing its own encryption algorithm? Yeah, yeah, I've seen that. That's. I mean, I guess that's that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah, if you define, yeah, once you have like an exploration algorithm and you just give one KPI, uh, then that becomes uh, a very, very interesting um, set of algorithms to be built in the future. So not to sideline the conversation, but actually, so that that mention, the discussion of like um, AI, you know, we need to worry about AI, like we need to worry about overpopulation on Mars. You know, I, I'm not sure I, I totally um, am aligned with that analogy because I guess the difference that people say is with, with AI, if, you know, if it ends up going wrong, it could happen in the blink of an eye, and that's why we should be considering this a little bit. That's why we should think about it, whereas overpopulation on Mars would at least take some time for us to notice and we could take precautionary measures. Um and I know this is not totally related to chatbots, but considering you know you worked at Google for a long time, you work at Slack. I'm sure you have a lot of these conversations. Um, so what do you what do you say to people who who are on the uh, the more doomful side, like the the Bill Gateses and the Elon Musks and the Stephen Hawking's who are who are legitimately afraid of this? First of all, you just said a set of very very smart people. So I I don't if I, if I get to speak to that's them, my trick. <laughs> I'll be super fortunate to talk to them and I'll bow into their infinite uh, wisdom. Um, but what I the way I think about it uh, is that AI right now is still very much a, a tool um, and a tool that we train. And and I think a tool is as good as good and as bad as the human that uses it. So I'm, I'm much more afraid of humans than I am of artificial intelligence. Uh, I think right now, artificial intelligence is just like, um, like any tool, like a hammer. You could use a hammer to build a house and you can use a hammer to, un- God forbid, like hurt someone. Uh, so I, I think that this is the way I currently see AI. It could change. But right now, and I think for the foreseeable short-term version, for like even the long-term, uh, we're still very, very far away from the singularity where uh, an AI actually has an opinion. Fair enough. Well, getting back to reality, um, there are oftentimes, when you see a new technology unfolding, there are competing standards. And as a software community, we've I think we've gotten a little better at this over time of figuring out kind of as a, as a whole... You know, when do we let a thousand flowers bloom? When do we? When do all the developers jump on something and decide this is the way we're going to do it? Um, and as as the leader of Slack's developer relations team, this must be at top of mind. So, how are you thinking about the different competing standards, or are they competing standards? Are there? You know, when you look at these different. Uh, areas where chatbots exist, like Slack and Facebook and all these other areas, um, do you see a very, is it a very collaborative landscape or do you see companies kind of trying to cordon off their own little section and their own standards and trying to win by by means of owning the standards? I don't think there is a war over standards because there is no standard right tra- right now. What we see is a few, it's, there's a few layers of to to this answer. One of them is that there's a segmentation between B2C and B2B. And there's much more competition right now in the B2C because there's a few, uh, there's a lot of options in the B2C. Um, there, you could use um, Kick and you can use Facebook and you can use many uh, other chats uh, if you're in Asia. Um, and there's, uh, there we see more competition. Um, in, in B2B, um, we, you have Slack and you have uh, a few other options. Um, so the, first of all, there's a segmentation between B2B and B2C. Um, and the other layer is that there's a lot of collaboration. Because we're very, very early on in this ecosystem, everybody is fearful that the ecosystem won't survive. So everybody really helps each other. Um, I talked a little bit about botness in my presentation. A uh, botness is where 
we gather all the bot builders together with all the platform providers and we mix the investors and media together and we're actually going to have a botness event next week where we it's an industry standard it's an industry standard uh, event where a ticket in is a professional bot uh, and we talk about how can we make this industry better and more uh, I don't know if standard is better but uh, better is better so how can we build better user interfaces what does it mean to build better bots and better platforms uh, and we're very much uh, collaborative together so you have Facebook and Microsoft and Amazon and all of the and IBM and all the big players uh, that are uh, want to contribute to this ecosystem yeah and that kind of stuff makes me very optimistic because it's not the kind of thing that you would see 10 or well maybe 10 years ago I don't know but not 15 years ago not 20 years ago what do you think has changed that has made a more collaborative positive sum because it's not this like zero sum we're going to make a, a standard that that freezes you out what has changed about the developer community that has made more of a win-win type of attitude between companies we've been burned in the past too many times and we don't want to do it again I think if you look at the developer community that being botness, these are people who have seen uh, the web revolution uh, and have seen what happened when they're like Internet Explorer versus Chrome versus uh, all the rest and uh, having all these horrible standards um, that didn't work really well together. Uh, and then going to uh, the mobile revolution, having a totally different experience doing the same exact app for the same exact audience on iOS and Android and how that works. So you have people who have gone through this uh, again and again. So um, people like Lily Chang from Microsoft, uh, uh, Chris Messina and I worked in, in Google and I've experienced that from, uh, from the Android side and from the Chrome side. So I think that we're, we're learning as humanity and as a developer community to be that uh, collaborative is actually good for everyone. Right. And it, yeah, it seems like it just, it almost like hurts everyone to, to do the, you know, the aggressive standards freeze out play. Like even, I mean, uh, maybe this is too much historical uh, context, but even Microsoft back in the day when they were going aggressively with the standards for Windows, arguably looking back, that probably hurt them because it kind of built up a, um, a, a way of doing business that now they've, they're have they they're working really hard to shed. They're working really hard to move beyond that uh, that negative sum way of thinking. And, and they're obviously doing it. You know, you see how much how much open source and how much openness uh, they're working on with their new projects. But um, it does seem like collaboration is the way to go for a good business. Definitely. I can tell you, I used to, I worked in uh, Google and in, in Microsoft and Google. I worked in Microsoft and 10 years ago, I presented about why, why the LAMP stack is so awesome in an internal event in Microsoft. And at the end of that event, one of the PMs told me that that was a career limiting move on my part to talk about open source so enthusiastically. Um, and I and I talked to I, I just visited Microsoft a few uh, weeks ago, and the PM there was wearing a, a open source T-shirt, and I was like so proud that we we've moved so much, and that companies uh, like like Microsoft are now like so uh, contributing so much to the open source community. So I think uh, the light has won. So um, we talked about these platforms for building things like bot prototypes. There's bot hosting. There's other bot tools we can use. What are the aspects of building a bot that are just really hard that no matter how good our tooling gets are just going to be really, really hard to factor out? What are the things that as a developer you are going to be worrying about when you're building a bot in 10 years? I think the the static thing is actually not the bot, but the, the service itself. I think that people need to understand that bots will always be as good and limited to the quality of the service that they expose. So the, the, the big limiting factor is developers building amazing services. And then bots will be just one of the interface or maybe the only successful interface. Um, I don't have a good visibility towards the future, but I can tell you that I think that building the best service is the biggest challenge. And you can see that with every revolution, right? The mobile revolution, the beginning, the uh, iCloud and iFart and all these semi-useless 
uh, apps on our phone. Uh, and as time passes, now we have very, very useful apps on our phone. So I think the services are the key to the success of this industry and any industry. Uh, and people are not super interested in how they get the service, but the service. Does that make sense? It does. There are, although there are also, I mean, it seems like there are kinds of services that appear in the chatbot world. Well, I don't know. Do you see services in the chatbot world that you that there is no analog to in the pre-chatbot world? I think uh, the model changes. Uh, I think, in like for example, in B two B, the personal assistant, the human personal assistant can easily be transformed into a, uh, an artificial assistant, right? So that's a model that has, that has been there before and will be there in the future. Uh, but in the B2C world, I, I wonder if a personal assistant will make sense and will be adopted because we don't have this mental model of having a, a life personal assistant uh, in our day-to-day -day life. Uh, and it could be that it will be delightful and, and very highly adopted, and it could be that it just people won't like that experience. But I, I hope they will, because that will create an amazing experience where we have this uh, friend of ours that always helps us in our day-to-day -day life. Um, the interaction pattern with bots these days is usually, it usually starts with me messaging that bot. And less often it is initiated by the bot itself, I think. Um, is that accurate? Is that is that going to be um, the the way that we typically do it, or do you think we're going to move to a place where there are more bots that can just do kind of outbound um, messaging of users? So actually, uh, if you look at the information that Facebook shared in the talk about events, they talked about the fact that most of the bot interactions started as bot-led interaction so the or bot-initiated interactions. So they're trying to push on a model where the, your initial interaction with the bot you initiate, uh, but the, at the end of that initial conversation, subscription to an interaction. So if, if you look at um, Hey Poncho, for example, which is a weather bot, you start by saying, hey, hi, weather, hi, Poncho, and you start this conversation, but it very, very fast moves into, do you want to subscribe to knowing what is the weather in San Francisco every morning? And doing that, it's, um, it's, it turns the conversation into the bot initiates the conversation. Uh, at Slack, we, we see uh, both ways. Uh, so users use a slash command to initiate a bot conversation or just say hello in a DM to the bot. Uh, but there are bots that are useful that uh, initiate conversation from their end. Um, but we'll see a lot of bi-directional communication. And I, and I don't think we figured out the ultimate uh, way of interacting uh, with software yet. Have you encountered any spammy bots that have been particularly malicious or particularly annoying or particularly threatening? Or does it seem like the world of chatbots is is less spammy? So we've seen a few. Uh, we, we, we do a review of every uh, bot that, we, that goes into our market. Uh, and only 2% of the bots are passed at the first run. Uh, it's quite shocking if you think about it. 90, 98% of the bots that we review, we reject in the first review. Um, so there's a lot, of, um, a lot of work that we need to do. And uh, luckily, that's a job. Uh, th that's my job. Uh, so there's a lot of work that we need to do in terms of educating around, uh, bots around uh, proficiency and about how to do bots that uh, are delightful. Uh, one of the key things that actually uh, makes us reject bots is having the bots be a little bit too spammy in the, in the onboarding. Uh, and one particular model that we really don't like is having the bot direct message all of the team members. Hey, I'm this new bot. You must now use me, right? Um, and, and we've seen a few of those. And we think that this is a great way to get the person who installed this bot fired. And we don't want people to get fired because of us. Uh, so we have a, like a, we really encourage developers to have an onboarding conversation with the person installing the bots 
to get their approval to uh, onboard in a delightful way. Yeah, this this is like when you're on a web page and like you go to close the web page and it uh, darkens the back of the web page and it comes up with like, "Hey, join the mailing list," and and you're like, "Seriously? Like, why would the, you know? It's like, why would you do this? This makes me not want to join the mailing list. I might have joined it if you wouldn't have told me to." But yeah, that's um, my biggest fear too. That bots w- might, uh, if we don't do it right, might become like the blinking text of. Uh, 197 or 83 where everything was an animated gif or a blinking text uh and and that's that's a horrible experience and i want to create uh delightful experiences yeah okay so you mentioned the slack bot platform um which i'd like to talk some about um why don't you give me an overview for how the slack bot platform works so we have a set of uh, apis uh we have a restful api and we have a socket, a real uh, RTM uh, socket that you could use, um, and you can uh, add a few func- You can add functionality to Slack. You can add slash commands into Slack. You can post notifications into Slack, and you can add a bot user into Slack. Uh, and that bot could uh, could do a lot of things and act as a user inside uh, inside the messaging. Uh, it could be invited into Teams. It could talk in a DM with users. Uh, it could invite multiple people into a conversation and have team conversation. It could talk into chat and giving enough permission, it could do even ac- admin activities like inviting others into chat or creating channels. Uh, so all of this together uh, makes, um, makes app developers have a lot of flexibility with what they could do uh, in Slack. But we focus on something very specific. We, we focus on work. So many people talk to me about like, hey, I'm bought for B2C. Is this the right model? And, and what I tell them is that, hey, listen, we're really focused on bots for business and how to make uh, people's work life simpler, more pleasant, more productive. So we give all this flexibility, but we want to focus on like bots for, for our my work environment. Now, I remember reading this post by the founder of Quora, Adam D'Angelo, and he was talking about how it's really hard to build an API right. And he was, Quora does not have an API, despite having this very rich data set. Um, but it's very hard to build an API right because as soon as you enable functionality, you have to support that functionality forever or else you deprecate certain parts of the API and you potentially break other people's apps how do you at Slack strike a balance between opening up that API too much um, and keeping it too closed? So I think we tend to go on the opening uh, side. We fix on the opening. Um, most of the APIs that our clients use and most of their internal APIs are open to developers. Um, and the way we uh, think about um, deprecating and breaking changes is that we try not to do that um, and we try to think about a lot about the ways that we can incur the technical debt rather than uh, inherit that technical debt to the developer. And I can tell you that, um, like, Stuart, like told me that this is my role to be the advocate both internally and externally. So the, um, uh, my role is called uh, evangelist and in, in other companies, but I really like the word advocate because what, what, one of my team's role is to advocate to the developer's need to the product team. So if there's breaking changes, we're the guys raising hell, making sure that there won't be any breaking changes and how can we work around to make the developer's life transparent to the changes. Have there been any pieces of functionality of that platform that you've opened up and then you only see a few people use it, but they use it really heavily, so it's really hard to deprecate? Have you seen that kind of issue? It happens all the time. And and there's always a fight between new projects or uh, backward support, right? So it, it happens every time we talk about a new feature, it starts with, yeah, we'll break, oh, maybe maybe slightly break things. Uh, and, and then the conversation moves into, uh, no, we're probably not going to move, we're not going to break uh, a lot of things and we'll do a lot of work on our end. Um, and I think I've gotten very, very strong support from like our leadership to say, hey, listen, We'll we'll do it. We'll we'll take a lot of technical debt internally in order to make the developer's life uh, better, uh, and I'm very proud of that. 
So we have a certain way of asking search queries a question. Like if I'm typing in search, there's a very specific way I have about typing my searches, and I think most people have this too, where it's like if you're searching for, um, I don't know, rest... um, I'm having a hard time thinking of an example, but the way that we ask a search query is not the same way that we talk to a human being. And so do you think that our patterns of requesting information, um, like the way that we request information to a search engine, is that going to be the same way that we request information from a bot? Or do you think it's going to be more like the, the, I guess this gets back to the same, the same question we kind of had earlier about bots talking to each other, but too early to tell what the what the pattern of talking to a bot is going to be? I don't know. So I think there's early indications, um, and it, it really depends on the task. So um, I talked to the guys at StatsBot, uh, and that's like a bot that helps you do your analytics inside Slack. Um, and one of the things that they said is that they thought uh, the bot would have like very lengthy and human-like conversation with the, with humans. Uh, but what, what what they saw when they looked at the logs is that humans really use the Google-like query. So they say, hey, um, a week over week, this type of user uh, report a chart. Uh, so so instead of like saying, hey, I want to see a report about our week over week users. And then the bot said, <laughs> what type of segment would you like? Uh, and then having like this back and forth conversations, people really wanted like shorthand uh, discussions uh, where they just give a command to the bot. But uh, uh, my uh, my assumption here is that this is good for a uh, task where you know all this information. Having uh, travel bots uh, might be very different where you actually want to explore the possibilities of going to Rome and what could you do there. So there could be tasks that are optimized for like shorthanding. I want to know this, that immediately, and this is the sentence. And there could be more of an exploration. Um, in my book, I refer to that in, as like a topic-led conversation versus task-led conversation. And, and it's very different. Even if you think about it when you work with humans, you have these two types of conversation, like talking about your trip or your weekend vacation versus like ordering coffee. Uh, these are very different ways of conversing. And I'll put a link to your book in the show notes. I forgot the name of it. What is it called again? So it's still TBD. You can't put the link because there is no link. I'm writing it as we speak. Uh, It's an O'Reilly book, uh, and it's probably coming up in the beginning of the year. Uh, It's called Designing Bots. Oh, okay. All right, great. Um, So uh, there was um, a number of presentations uh, at Bot Day that mentioned kind of the relationship that Asian countries have with chat interfaces. Are those, is your sense that the chat interfaces in the, in Asian countries, do they have uh, a different relationship with the users than American people uh, talking to their chat interfaces? So I, th- I think yes. Um, and I think they're, they're a little bit more advanced uh, than we are right now. So they look at the chat uh, interface as the operating system. Uh, an operating system that holds a lot of the data and identity of the user. So when you order a pizza, the chat interface already knows your location, already knows your credit card preferences, uh, and could send that to the bot as context for the conversation. So make ordering a pizza could be as easy as like, I want pizza with olives and thank you very much and that's it because my credit card is already on record and my location is already on record. Uh, So that's one thing. The other thing is that they use uh, QR codes for discovery. So the pattern is I go into this restaurant and I want to get a discount on my coffee. So I add, using a QR code that is on the table, I add the bot of the restaurant. So uh, I think the interaction, the physical uh, interaction together with uh, abundance of information that lives inside the chat interface um, is is much more advanced than where we are in the in the U.S. But I I think we're slowly but surely moving towards that. Um, So I just got a couple more questions. Um, Is it important to distinguish bots from humans as you know, as this uh, this space evolves, is it important to be able to certify that someone is a human versus a bot? It's it's a loaded conversation. 
and I'll I'll share my my personal opinion. My personal opinion is yes. Uh, I think that y- humans should know when they're talking to a bot and where they're not talking to a bot. Um, and you could you could actually do that in Slack. So every conversation that the bot provides, even if it shows like an icon of a human and and shows uh, a name of a human, we indicate that the conversation is coming from a bot. It actually says bot next to the uh, next to the user. Uh, so we we think that having this layer of transparency is important. Um, I've written code that transforms the Asimov's rule of engagement with robots and humans to uh, the rules of engagements with uh, bots. Um, and and one of the, the key thing aspects I talk about is like humans should know when they're speaking to a bot or not. I think that's super important, at least at the at the early stages of our uh, industry. Do you think the line might blur in the future? Because I can imagine having my Jeff account, and then I've got two or three Jeff bots that do things that I have them delegate for me. Like maybe I tell my fleet of bots, hey, go get my friends together for a dinner party. So yes, but we're still far away from that. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and the key is that right now there's a, a trust. Uh, there's still, we need still need to build a lot of trust. Mm-hmm. And I think trust stems from empathy and transparency. Uh, so if I'm not, if I don't know if I'm talking to a human and a bot and the bot is up, then I have two problems. I have the issue and I have trust issue. But if I'm, if I know that I'm talking to a bot, then I have, uh, I'm, I have less expectations right now, therefore less of a trust and, uh, and quality issues. Well, uh, Amir, I want to respect your time. I appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a very illuminating conversation and, um, if you ever want to come back on the show, like if you're, when your book comes out, I'd be happy to have you back on. That's awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash sedaily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.